Okay, hello everyone. Welcome, finally, to another episode of the Mental Debriefing Podcast. We're at episode 19 now. Only 19? Well, we've done 20, but I mean, this is the 20th, but um, the progress takes longer when there's a 100 days break between (laughs) episodes, so yeah, we've... uh, That was my fault. We've had a prolonged break. Um, a lot of things have happened since then, and and uh, we'll go over those with Leslie because her life has been. Um, she's had several interesting turns in her life. Um, <laughs> you make it sound so dramatic. It's not that bad. Uh, first off, um, she had, uh, as previously uh, previewed in our previous episode, she was planning a trip to Japan and Indonesia, so uh, let's quickly go over her her uh, thoughts and feelings about the trip, what she learned, where she went, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, so I think it was right after grad- I graduated, um, we went to Japan, and that was, that was amazing. Everyone in Japan is so professional and respectful, and I, I really... Love that. And it was so interesting. Even when we walked into the airport, it was eerily quiet. <laughs> and we've never experienced that before. And everyone was just doing their, their job. And everyone was just very, it was, it was very unusual, but I appreciated it. Because everyone was so polite. We were in and out of the airport really quickly. <clears throat> and uh, we so when we were in Japan, we were able to visit all the different beautiful temples. And I, I love Japan. Um, we went to uh, Tokyo, and then we went to Osaka. And the food was delicious. The ramen was really good. And then we actually had an opportunity to eat at a uh, traditional Japanese um, restaurant where you sit on the, um, what are the mats called? Tatami. Yes, the tatami mats. And we had a kaisan, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, six-course dinner, which was a lot of food, but the experience was amazing. So I highly recommend it to anyone who is interested in going into to going to Japan. Uh, so we stayed there for a few days, and then from Osaka, we flew into Bali, and it was beautiful. The landscape is gorgeous. We stayed in... Ubud, which is the rainforest, and the villa that we stayed at was in the middle of these um, rice paddies, and the villa was ridiculously inexpensive. Well, compared to the states, it was fifty-two dollars a night, and it was a private villa with its own uh, pool and everything. So, highly recommend anyone who is thinking about going to Bali to go. Um, it is expensive to get there, but it's completely worth it. Um, and then from Ubud, we went to different parts of Bali. We went to, um, the beach, uh, there's different areas, but we went to Semolak, I think it's called. Um, but I definitely want to go. Like a baby formula. Anyway, <laughs> I think it might be. Um, but we went to the beach when, like the last day we were there. Unfortunately, we didn't stay very long. We were only there for four days and it rained two out of the four days. So we couldn't do a whole lot. But I highly, highly, highly recommend anyone who's thinking about going. It's it's gorgeous. The people there are super, 
sweet and nice and hospitable. Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't, well, everyone travels, well, most people travel on a scooter, and we tried. <laughs> well, Frank tried. Um, and it's actually not as easy as it looks. So, I don't know. I would just, it's not very expensive to have someone drive you around the island. I, I recommend that way if you're not an experienced, uh, you know, if you're not experienced driving scooters or motorcycles. Because uh, unfortunately, Frank fell into a rice paddy when oh he was trying. <laughs> he was fine, but his ego was really hurt. Um, so, yeah, I recommend people just, it was only like $30 a day to have someone drive us around uh, Bali uh, for the whole day. So Whoa. Yeah, so it's very inexpensive. Uh, the food was good. I'm definitely going to go back one day because I fell in love with that, um, with Bali and I would definitely recommend oh, it to anyone. The tropics, yes. Yes. And then um, it's there's Indonesian culture, and yeah. they, they wear the salong, the dress. Oh, yeah, the, so there's certain the temples. Skirt. We went to a lot of temples there, too. The men wear that, anyways. Yeah, yeah. both. Um, you have to wear a sarong um, before entering the temple as a sign of uh, respect, and then you'll see that uh, throughout Bali. You'll see the... Um, Different statues have sarongs around them, and that's just a sign. There's more to it, but I, I don't know the exact history, so I don't want to talk, you know, talk about that. But yeah, you'll see that a lot. They'll have sarongs on different statues. Cool, interesting. Yes. Um, speaking of Japan, um, there is a amongst. Let's see here. One second. Yes, there is, according to C CNN, almost half of Japan's millennials are virgins. And then um, I, I sent you a statistic. It was like um, one in four or one in five people over 35, um, the age of 35, are uh, virgins in Japan. So <laughs> it's it seems their society is quite it's not a very uh, social society it appears no did you feel any of that lack of i i Latin wasn't there social... very very long to make any like those types of observations but the one thing i did notice it seemed that everyone works really hard in japan um mm. when we took the subway uh, most of the time and everyone was always like sleeping in the subways because they were looked like they were extremely tired and then when we would go back to our hotel, it'd be like nine or ten o'clock at night, and you would see um, school-age children in their uniforms, like going home, and people in their suits that had just come off from work going home. Um, you can tell they're very they're very hard workers, and it seems like that is a top priority in, in Japan. So I feel that maybe they're they prioritize work and success versus Socialize. Yeah, like socializing. I don't know, but that's. I was only yeah, there for a few days, so I, I can't make these broad you know, assumptions. Exa exactly, broad assumptions. Well, I've people. been there zero days outside of the airport, so. Um, what do I, you think? I will make some broad assumptions, and uh, let's just say that certain cultures, um, Asian cultures in general, 
they focus on education a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly those that end up in the, you know, Japan itself is very education oriented. Mm-hmm. So is Taiwan. Um, China is less so you can actually be blue collar or a farmer or whatever. And then in Japan, farmer is like a very um, respected position. In China, less so, but you can you can still be a farmer, etc. And then you come to a, a lot of the Asian immigrants that come to the U.S. Obviously, um, speaking as said Asian American, you know the first generation can work whatever, but then the the first generation, let's be clear, is the immigrant themselves. People always argue with me, like, I'm first-generation American, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 the first generation is the immigrant. And then you're the the person that comes, that is produced by said first generation is the second generation, which is um, the person I was born here. But um, typically amongst the second generation, it's uh, unacceptable not to go to college and not to get a college degree, so... That's why when you go to Cal States or UCs, there's uh, a large percentage of Asians everywhere because uh, it's a, a required standard. You know, other cultures, you know, you can go into some blue collar stuff as a second generation person and still be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the, in the uh, Asian American society, which draws a lot from uh, Asian culture, mm-hmm. um, going to college and being academically successful is a big thing. Oh, we have to take a pause because oh, no. Peter Continue. has a message. Um, anyways, so, so after said vacation, you had a return and you were studying for a test? <laughs> yes. So when I came back, um, I had to start study for the RD exam. So I graduated my master's, but then I still had to take the RD exam to get my credential as a registered dietitian, my, well, my RD credential. And this exam encompasses everything I've learned um, down, you know, from chemistry, anatomy, physiology, everything, um, everything I've ever learned. So uh, I was very... It was it was hard. The test itself wasn't as difficult as I anticipated. It was just not knowing what's going to be on the exam and having to remember all this information, um, all these different biochemical processes. Um, what do you do if someone has a certain disease? Like you have to know all of this, and it's just so much information to retain. Um, so it was really hard, but thankfully I had my friends to help me. I had my good friend, uh, Melissa, who was with me and we would study every week together and we really got through this together. She recently passed a couple weeks ago, so super, um, excited for her, but I was so relieved when I passed because it was, that was it. Like that was the last thing I needed to do to be a registered, uh, dietitian and thankful. And Frank was also very supportive. Um, so I'm just very thankful that I had um, my friends and, and my husband to support me because you really, you can get very, you get very down on yourself and and you have these negative thoughts like, oh my gosh, what if I don't pass and I have to wait again 45 days and I can't even start applying for jobs because a lot of the jobs 
they want you to already be a registered dietitian. Um, it's not just like you're when you graduate, you're already eligible, meaning that you're eligible to take the exam. But a lot of employers want you to already have passed. And that makes sense. They don't want to invest in someone and then this person doesn't pass the exam. Um, so they want people, you know, they want to hire people who are already RD. So I decided I'm not even going to bother to to look until I pass the exam. So thankfully I passed and yeah, but that was why we, I was just focused on, on that for. Congratulations on passing. Thank you. And so now finally that I've passed, I've been applying to different positions. But it was interesting when I, after I passed, I was having this, you know, I don't know, it's, I can't think of a better word, but, you know, have you heard of analysis paralysis where you're just, I was overanalyzing everything. Yes, Shaila Sonnen talks about that all the time. Because as an RD, you can either be, there's, you can be, a di- like, there's different types of registered dietitians. You can go into clinical, you can be a clinical dietitian, or you can be, um, work out in the community, um, like a public uh, health nutritionist, or you can work in uh, school. So you can do, uh, you know, like school nutrition. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I've always wanted to do clinical, but should I do school nutrition? Should I do community? Like, what is it that I like want to do? And this is going to set me up for the rest of my life. Like I was overthinking it way too much. And that was like a good week and a half where I was just overthinking things. And then finally, Frank and I had it like, sit down and talk he's like you just need to get started and get the experience and stop overthinking things I don't know if that happens to you but I I know I do that where I overthink things and I like freeze up and I don't even like I don't know like oh my gosh what am I gonna do but then finally I'm like okay I just need to get over this and then just start applying um and so that's what I've been doing just different positions like mostly clinical because I want to develop my will develop and hone those clinical skills because it's 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 like if you don't use it you lose it like how to count calculate enteral and parental feeds um you know how do you counsel someone who has these different disease like whether it's pancreatitis or short bowel syndrome like if you don't are constantly using those skills then you tend to lose it and that's something that I don't want I want to definitely hone those skills Oh, yes, yes, yes. A lot of times you, uh, it's it's kind of like my phone skills have uh, deteriorated since leaving State Farm. <laughs> and it's, it's unfortunate because that's a good skill to have, how to communicate via the phone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in State Farm, there was a lot of, you're on the defense a lot, but um, it helps. Don't you feel that's... I felt that it was so much easier for me to communicate over the phone than in person because in person you have to deal with body language and a lot of people get distracted by body language and the way someone looks. So I find it to be a little bit harder communicating with people in person versus the phone. Because over the phone, I remember when I was in State Farm, I would, I was, I was a really good listener and I would listen to people really well. And then I would repeat back, okay, this is what I'm understanding. Am I correct? And they would say, yes, yes, that's correct. Okay. And then I can move forward with the conversation and figure out how, how I could help this person. But in person, I feel it's a little bit 
different because you're having to deal with these other uh, variables. Well, your profession, you're going to see them in person, right? Yeah, exactly. So I have to, and it's not something that I necessarily um, struggle with. It's just something that I've observed that you have to be mindful of your body language. You have to be mindful of the way you present yourself. And I'm sure you've encountered this as well, uh, being a realtor. Yes. Um, In person is different, obviously, when you're... uh, Working over the phone mostly, you're, um, you know, the the customer's talking to a faceless object, mm-hmm. especially in a kind of like a call center type environment, and they they can be a bit more aggressive. In real life, it's it's more subtle. Of course, you have um, you have to pay attention to their body language. They pay attention to how you dress, how you look. Um, your your hand motions, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a different form of communication. I don't think either one is easier or harder, but um, it's just a different skill set you need to develop. Mm-hmm. And I may have may, may or may not have properly developed those over the uh, past two years. Also, you know, like for example, um, if you speak in front of a camera, it's also different. And then if you're speaking on a podcast, obviously that's different as well. So there's many different forms of communication that we have to be uh, exposed to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those, it takes skills and practice makes perfect. So you can't overanalyze things. You just have to jump in. It's like um, one of the uh, real estate trainers, Kevin Ward, um, he has a lot of YouTube videos, but his whole thing is, um, I actually paid money to go see him in a seminar, but his whole thing is, um, if, because a lot of realtors, they don't want to like do videos or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and his whole message is you, you're as terrible as you think you look on video, but people are friends with you anyways. So you might as well make the video. <laughs> what? You're as terrible as, can you repeat that? You're as terrible as what? Well, it's um, terrible. You look in the well, video? it's it's basically you look as bad as you think you look on on film, on video. Uh-huh. Um, but people like you anyways, uh-huh. and they're friends with you anyways in real life. So you might as well make the video, because <laughs> people are concerned. Oh yeah, I look horrible on video, and then um, you know it doesn't show well on video. It adds ten pounds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh-huh. And then the truth is, you actually do look that way in real life. But people still like you anyway, so you might as well make the videos. Because, you, you know, you're not looking at, uh, when you're out day to day, you're not looking at yourself, obviously. Uh-huh. Other people are looking at you, so, so sometimes it's hard to tell what you look like right. um, while you're living life. Because, you know, in the morning you look at the mirror, you do your hair or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you don't look at yourself, you don't look at yourself for hours. Um, I know girls look at themselves more when they do their makeup, et cetera, but, um, <laughs> to, you know, typically, you don't, you know, you don't look at yourself, uh, constantly when you're interacting with people and then mm-hmm. you see yourself on film, it's like, holy F, but then that's really how you look. So, right. Anyways, um, yeah, so during this whole long period of time, um, since our previous podcast, uh, 
I, uh, I'm not sure if we talked about this in my previous video, but um, I had uh, applied for a job at Amazon, a part-time job that's um, the graveyard shift uh, from 8.15 p.m. to 4.45 a.m. or 5 a.m. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at a Amazon logistics location, which is where they sort the um, sort the packages so that it goes out into their delivery vans in the morning. And yeah, I've been living that blue collar life for a uh, hundred days now because my real estate career has been uh, hasn't been going as smoothly as I anticipated, and um, you know you need the cash flow so. I picked up said blue collar job and during the first, well, it still is physically intense, um, but my body's gotten a bit more used to it. Um, so are you mainly just putting packages into a delivery truck? Well, no, 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 no. There's, um, so, so basically how it works is, uh, this isn't any trade secrets that I'm spilling here, obviously, but, um, <laughs> they... The, at the big facilities, like Eastvale has a big facility, um, San Bernardino, Redlands, etc. That's where they actually put, uh, that's where they store the inventory. And then when you order it, then they put the inventory either in a box or in one of their, um, the, the bubble envelopes called Jiffies. Um, so, Jiffy? yeah, they're called Jiffies. And then... And then they put them into a truck, and then some of them actually go to UPS or whatever, but most of them don't. Amazon now delivers their own stuff, so it all goes into a big truck, and then the uh, big truck comes to our Chino facility, and um, from that point, they unload the truck, and then they, they, uh, it goes through an assembly line, and they sort it, and then uh, my, posi my position... The, there's two positions, well, there's several different positions, but my primary one is, um, you see, I, there's a rack. First, it goes onto an assembly line and a conveyor belt um, where there's a bunch of sorting go that goes on. And then at that conveyor belt, there's a person which um, takes a package from the conveyor belt, puts it on a rack, and then um, the scanner person, which I've done that position a lot, you take it from the rack, and then there's these bag, there's these giant um, kind of like two two by two bags, um, two feet long, two feet wide, two feet deep. Um, these are estimates, but uh, so you, you take either the the cardboard box or the envelope, and then you sort them into whatever um, bags that it's listed, and then. Basically, you go through like 2,000 pieces of packages a night. Yeah. And um, Is there an expectation for you to do so many pieces a day? Like you said, you go through 2,000. Well, 2,000 is a bit, um, that's like the extreme cases. It's uh, You're expected to be like um, 200 an hour or something. So wow. it's a lot. But um, So then you, you put all that stuff into all, all the various bags. Um, that's basically your whole job for the night. And then in the morning, there's other people that come in and then they, they, uh, put, put the bags and the large packages into, um, 
into these uh, landing zone areas, and then the vans come in and they pick up the bags. So oh. that's uh, basically the whole thing is they sort it overnight so they save a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically next day when the person goes out. So it's it's more of a next day delivery thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, difficult. A lot of uh, packages weigh a lot, and that's a different. The blue collar life is somewhat different. Um, as as I wrote on social media, when you take a break, you're resting your body physically. <laughs> um, and then you, you're sitting down when you take a break most of the time because um, you're resting. Whereas in in a white collar job, when you take a break, you're actually like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go walk around or whatever because um, you're clearing your head and you've been sitting a long time. So on your break, you actually go move around. So it's a Which whole different do you, thing. Do you prefer one over the other? Do you have a preference? Do you prefer white collar job or blue collar job? I'm sure there's pros and cons to each one, but based off of your experiences, which one do you prefer? Well, if you want to go go the blue collar route, it has to be um, in a job that pays well, obviously. And you know, uh, uh, this is an entry level blue collar job, so you can imagine the pay isn't uh, super great. But comparatively speaking, it's it's uh, it's good compared to other warehouses, but um, compared to the jobs and the pay scales that we're all used to, it's, it's if the uh, pay was the same for both, theoretically speaking, which one would you choose? The uh, State Farm job or Amazon? Well, if it's the same pay, obviously the Amazon job, but um, not <laughs> so. So uh, you know that's a, that's why education is important. Um, so you can uh, potentially get a job that's better paying. I okay, so my I have a little brother, he's 18 and <clears throat> he's doing what his older sisters have done, me and my sister Melanie. So he believes that he needs to get a four-year college degree to be successful and I'm not discouraging him by any means to pursue a four-year degree. But I feel that oftentimes technical jobs get overlooked that pay very well because everyone or a lot of younger generations have the idea that they have to have a four-year degree in order to uh, make it in this world. And I don't think that that's 100% correct. And I've encouraged him to look into technical um certifications like for example my dad he's a, a welder and that's really i feel like a lost art oh yeah welders, welders and there aren't living. too many and my dad you know made he still is working and i'm i'm so impressed my dad is very very smart he shows me photos of everything he builds but he's made a very good living for himself and provided for his family but a lot of people would probably look down on what my dad does because he's like oh he's a welder he's working outside um, that's not, that's not for me. I, I want to work inside an office and well, there's different types of welding. Let's, let's continue. Yeah, yeah, there is, there's different types and it is a very difficult, um, a job, but I, I just think that oftentimes these technical jobs get overlooked and, and that's something that's needed in our society and you don't necessarily have to pursue a four year degree. Um, there's, there's other options. That's well, that, yeah, that's correct. Um, if you go the technical route or the uh, 
you know, the blue collar skilled route. That's mm-hmm. often a uh, a underlooked um, career path to go on, but it's actually um, if you know what you're doing and you're good at it, you can make a lot of money. Like um, plumbers make tons and tons and tons of money. I mean, if you ever had a plumbing job done, you know that you certainly uh, make quite a lot of money. And um, you know, like auto mechanics, all the stuff when you get to higher levels of it, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the blue collar stuff, it actually pays pretty well. Um, obviously, you have to. It's rough and tumble the first few years, but uh, once mm-hmm. once you get going, then. Um, I think one of the scary things now thinking about it is automation and how jobs, these technical jobs are going to be um, replaced with computers. And I think that might be one of the reasons why some people don't want to necessarily get into into these professions. Um, so I, that's just, I, I could see that. Well, I, I disagree with that because um, the... You know, it's, it's like, it's like a plumber, you know, is a, they're going to use, mach- you know, plumbers use various uh, uh, machines and et cetera, et cetera, like that router thing, which clears, <laughs> clears your, um, clears your drain. But, um, you know, the chances that there's going to be a robot plumber, it's, it's very rare. More like, a lot of the times the robot, robotic stuff, um, it, kind of helps the unskilled um the unskilled blue collar stuff like like in amazon they have robotics that uh it lowers the need for um more people in their warehouse so there's there's less people Mm -hmm. working at the warehouse um so usually robotics help on those types of like factories stuff like that um Mm -hmm. these skilled type of like an auto mechanic these types of skilled uh um trades it's it's very um the the threat of automation is much less mm-hmm. so anyways but getting back to amazon how do you like your coworker? uh is there a lot of interaction with coworkers? Or uh, not us- really? usually people are pretty tired during break but um you know it's it's a co-ed co-ed environment so um <laughs> you say that with such a grin <laughs> Yes, it's it's a co-ed environment and uh, it's it's pretty nice and yeah, it, and they're pretty chill, obviously. Um, so all the all the uh, um, supervisory, they're they're all pretty chill and uh, no one yells at you or anything like that. So it's oh, that's cool. That's good. Oh, I've had bad experience with managers who yell. Actually, just one in particular, but. It was awful. I see. Uh, <laughs> but overall, it's um, um, the the graveyard situation. That's that's kind of weird because typically I get typically I have to stay late and then and then I go to McDonald's for breakfast and then by the time I come back, brush my teeth, et cetera, et cetera, it's like um six fifteen, six thirty, and then. You have to sleep and then try to wake up um, at 12 or 1 and then that's, and uh, get ready and then pretend to go to the real estate office to get some work done on that end. So 
it's been difficult. How's your sleep? Uh, it's not been great, but that's, of course, uh, because a lot of it is attributed because I live in a condo, and then the, the landscapers make tons of noise, of course, and um, also my uh, desire to not use air conditioning, that also contributes to it. <laughs> oh my gosh, Peter. It gets, it must get so hot in here. Yeah, so um, when we're done talking in half an hour, you'll, it'll be much warmer, but anyways. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, difficult on that end, but um, yeah, I'm proud that, that I've survived 100 days in a blue-collar environment, because um, I'm physically not quite the uh, blue-collar worker, but hey, if, if you put your mind to it, anything can happen, and things do work out and it's a chill environment it's a chill company of course mm. um amazon has made made me a lot of money in the past so i'm just repaying the favor and it's good <laughs> how about real estate i know that you said it's been difficult to work on your real estate career because you have this part-time job but have you had any leads or um i've, I've made a few uh um or any new developments there hasn't been any new developments. Um, I've uh, a lot of real estate or being a realtor. The the marketing is and and the acquiring a customer is even more important than what the actual process of selling a house or helping a buyer uh -huh. buy a house. So. A lot, it's just a lot of, um, like, basically your time and your resources, like 60%, 60 to 70% of it should be dedicated to um, finding new clients, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's kind of, um, you're, you're kind of in the same position as, like, a wedding photographer or those types of deals, mm -hmm. um, because people buy houses about as often as they get married, which is not very often. You know, it's like those photographers, you know, they get married and then, you know, they take their engagement photos or whatever and then mm -hmm. possibly their wedding photos and then the first baby pregnant photos and then that's it. You know, <laughs> that that customer will never ever return again. So it's it's kind of you're you're in a bit of a jam. Um so you're going to you're constantly trying to find new customers cuz Especially in California, when people buy a house, um, they just stay there and stay there and stay there. In other states, it's like, well, yeah, people move every seven years. But then in California, it's like every 14 years. I'm talking about homeowners, not, not renters, obviously. But um, once, mm -hmm. once they move in, it's, it's hard for people to move out. Because when you move out, then because the property values have increased and your property taxes increase as well, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, it kind of forces people to stay in their house for a long time. Mm. But um, yeah, even though financially it's actually better to um, start off with a condo and then go to a house and then when you have kids go to an even bigger house. So it's actually financially better to, to go through all the steps. But uh, a lot of people, they just want to live in a house and then live there till they retire. So yeah. It must be really difficult to acquire <clears throat> clients because it's a huge step and people are 
can be hesitant and wishy-washy whether they want to sell and buy. There's just a lot of different variables that also, go into it. And there are also, a lot of people tend to use realtors that uh, they they know or family member or friend. So yeah, everyone knows like ten realtors, so that's also <laughs> a problem. But I I may be getting. Uh, moving forward, I might be actually getting a job in real estate instead of instead of being my own boss. Cause, what do you mean? Um, you know, there are certain jobs like you you work for like an apartment company or whatever, and then oh, and like, like a property manager. Stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, so I can learn that aspect of the business. Um, I was actually gonna suggest that. Right before you said that. I was like, so, oh, maybe he can be a property manager. Because th- this whole thing of Peter Tam being his own boss, I don't know if it's going well or not <laughs> well, but because um, when I went to Amazon, I found out that how much I actually missed being an employee. And then you have a certain camaraderie because uh-huh. uh, it's, it's the same as, you know, you work for a state farm, you know, um, you have a very tough tough day or whatever and then you go to break and then you can commensurate with your with your teammates and then you both go through something traumatic together and then you bond with your teammates and it's pretty cool what kind of traumatic things happen at the amazon well it's like really facility. It's, it's uh for one it's not air conditioned so <gasps> so you know, it, it's it's like doing ten hours of physical labor in my condo. I mean, for God's sakes. Um, How hot do you think it gets in there? It gets really hot. No way. Um, it's not air conditioned, so you know when it's a hundred outside, it's gonna be like uh, eighty five, <laughs> eighty five degrees inside or higher, eighty five to ninety. And then, you know they have fans everywhere and stuff, but um, some it can't be too strong or else stuff blows away, obviously. So. Um, I'm really shocked that they don't have AC. Well, it's, it's, well, the doors are all open and stuff. It's not like it's stuffy in there. So, um, you know, they provide all the free bottled water you want, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, it's just not air conditioned. A lot of warehouses aren't. So, um, like the big, the big Amazon ones are, but then this, this is a logistics location and. For some reason, it's not, but it's cool. Um, it, it's all right, cause like in winter time, they said it it went to like forty degrees inside or something oh crazy. Goodness. But they've they're uh, in the process of putting in insulation, so it's mm. uh, it's gonna get better. But um, how long have they had this facility? Uh, it's like two years. Okay, so, so pretty recent. It's it's not unbearable. It's just it's just tough. Um, uh, you just need to drink a lot of water. I learned the importance of actually drinking a lot of water. Um, <laughs> you know, because when you work out and stuff, you know, yeah, you drink water, but then, you know, your workout ends in like an hour, right? Because uh-huh. um, who the hell exercises for nine hours straight? But then in Amazon, you're literally like exercising nine hours straight. So you need to keep drinking like tons and tons. Like like these things, like they give out these um um, you can get as many as you want, refrigerated, et cetera, et cetera. So uh-huh. um, it's all right. And then, you know, I can go through three or four of these in, in one shift. 
in addition to like a Gatorade I bring. So you really need to drink tons of water because mm. you just sweat it all out and it's pretty crazy. But anyways, so I, I'm I'm proud as a man to have gone through <laughs> all of that. But again, there's a lot of tough women in there, so who go through the same stuff and. Uh, like a lot of jobs the most muscular guys or the most physically fit are not always the best workers um why it, it just turns out that way um <laughs> i feel you like know, you have no basis for this no i mean i, I mean if, it, well, you're just saying things no it, it's true I, it's um it's kind of like sports and stuff um you know, when when a guy that looks like really, really jacked up, they go play football, then sometimes it doesn't work out. And then a guy like Tom Brady, he's skinny, awkward, slow, et cetera, et cetera. He's a quarterback for 20 years. So it uh, your, your physical looks and how tall you are, et cetera, that doesn't necessarily translate to how talented you are, even in a even in a uh, physical job. Otherwise, you know, um, mm-hmm. all the men would dominate over all the women in, in the industry, right? Because men are typically more, more uh, they have more strength, right? <laughs> <coughs> because of, of uh, biology. But um, a lot of times, obviously, the women are, are the uh, quicker scanners, et cetera, et cetera. So. Have you noticed that right now in Amazon? Have you noticed people where you thought they would be yeah. Top performers are are kind of lazy. Is that why you're saying well, this? Well, it's not that they're kind of lazy. It's like sometimes if you're too tall, you're kind of clumsy, et cetera, et cetera. And uh-huh. then um, a lot of women are just like really fast at certain certain actions, uh-huh. um, hand speed or whatever. And sometimes if you're a very, you know, because it seems like a physical job because you're moving a lot of boxes around and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. sometimes you need to use your smarts to to not rely on that and to work efficiently. And sometimes women just figure it out better. But, um, you know, obviously, so, so it all equals out in the end mm-hmm. um, between male and female and those types of occupations. Interesting. So, yeah. So... Your plan is to continue working at Amazon for now, for now, um, and then see well, what was, happens. Like, so I, I take it you <clears throat> want to look into becoming maybe a property manager, and then yeah. making the switch from Amazon to property manager. Well, r- right now because um, when when you're a realtor the cash flow you know one month you get a ten thousand dollar check the next next two two months you can get zero zero checks right Mm -hmm. so that kind of it's it's very inconsistent and um my my two part-time jobs being a doordash driver as well as amazon i'm spending a lot of resources and energy on those part-time jobs to support my full-time job when it would just make sense to actually um, make uh, being a realtor my part-time job and actually get a full-time job. But we'll see. Um, I've delayed any uh, decision, final decisions until um, after December. So 
we'll, we'll ride out the next three to four months and see what happens. Um, but yeah, things are moving along. And moving on to my favorite segment, Life Search 2019. How is that going? Um, well, there, there's been a few developments, but um, nothing positive, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I've still been, uh, off and on, I've been um, visiting a certain friend in the uh, in, in the high desert. Um, is this a friend you've had for a very long time now that I'm familiar with? Um, possibly, but... Um, oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's a good person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, obviously, I, I, I've, I've made clear my intentions to, to uh, start a family, so that, uh, that option may not... You know, she has her life. I have my life of starting a family so obviously there's no long-term long-term uh relationship status there outside of being friends so you um, just you guys are just friends there's no long-term okay. correct Got correct it. okay and then um so uh, of course i've been active on my online dating thing mm-hmm. and yeah i had a few dates where um Oh yeah, I met another girl that lived in um, also in the high desert, and we were supposed to go on a date, but um, we were supposed to meet at a Starbucks in Hesperia because she lives like up the road in in Adelanto, and then um, she wanted to change the last minute um, to get even closer to her house, and then I said no, I'm coming from down the hill. I need to. Uh, on Friday nights, of course, the 15 freeway is clogged up because everyone's driving to Las Vegas. So it takes like two hours, two and a half hours just to get up the hill. Um, and then I said, that's, that's unreasonable. And then that got canceled. And then what, what would she do? She was, oh, yeah, I have to work early in the morning, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, um, you know, I, I catch her on Facebook just wasting time. So <laughs> it's... On on during the time we were supposed to have our date, she's uh, on Facebook wasting time instead of actually um, doing anything. So that that got canceled. Um, I, I had another date with a uh, a thirty seven year old in San Diego, um, <laughs> who's uh, of the rounder variety, and um, and I don't know. I thought we hit it off. We had you know my Starbucks type of date and we had a lot of engaging conversation but then when I asked her out for a second time she said no so so long um yeah she's a uh, math 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 lecturer at at a at a college down there so a math lecturer so she's a teacher correct got it um a lecturer not a professor but um but yeah, so so you know, I thought we hit it off well. Um, she's half Persian, half Chinese, but that didn't oh, go anywhere. That's interesting. Um, yeah, you know, she's a attractive lady. Um, but uh, yeah, the distance, you know. I live out here in the boonies, and uh, 
she's in uh, America's finest city, so that didn't work. And then I went on another date with another girl from San Diego. Um, she's by uh, La Jolla area, UTC. Mm-hmm. And um, we walked around to UTC, which is a outdoor mall down there. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it was kind of weird. And uh, there hasn't been a second date since. The uh, the San Diego thing I'm I'm gonna drop because it's, it's too far. It's a long distance. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's weird. And then you know they live at home, of course, and uh, which isn't a negative, but it's it's the far drive. But mm-hmm. yeah, the, the good thing about it, if they live at home, is you know they they haven't uh, had a lot of adventures. What? Adventures, so that's that's a positive. <laughs> I don't um, understand. The the negative thing is they're less independent, so you know there's pro, pros and cons to everything. Less adventures. You know adventures. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> um. Silly. So, o- overall, I I have let's let me go on a quick rant here. Um, you know one of my favorite quotes, of course, is. That they've heard several times is uh, uh, don't don't let several yachts go by while you're while you wait for your cruise ship, and um, you know a lot of these women that I'm on dates with they're they're my age or older or whatever, and they're still letting a lot of yachts go waiting for their cruise ship, and you know we're we mutually know a few people in that age range and. Um, <laughs> That that in their younger days they were, they were, uh, you know, they probably rejected ten to fifteen guys a week, and then now they're wondering why uh, things have dried up. So a lot really? of it, like who? A lot of it is because they. I don't know any of them. Which one? Which one of my friends? <laughs> well, they're they're my friends, but you know they've, you know them as acquaintances, and um, okay, they've. Uh, they're still waiting for their cruise ship, and they've lot, uh, let a lot of yachts go by, and they're wondering what the heck's going on. Well, what's going on is you let a lot of yachts go by. So, um, when you when you're younger, it's okay to have a lot of superficial, you know, requirements uh-huh. of your uh, significant other. But, um, you know, ideally, you you get both, both for males and your females. You have they're superficial and what's good for a relationship and then they all meld into one person that's mm-hmm. the ideal um obviously for for more uh superficial there's there's that and then there's obviously the the uh short fat guy who who might be a great dad to your children etc cetera, etc cetera, but he's short and fat and mm-hmm. and uh, unattractive i think if you let a lot of yachts go by then um and you're wondering what the heck's going on is because your your requirements have uh have gone from uh more of a super to have stayed in the superficial side and then you're not letting all these non-superficial people in sorry it just dawned on me who you're talking about now i understand Duh. Okay. But but anyways, you know when you're when you're younger, uh, and then these people have been have been, uh, you know, that when you're younger, you can have both, 
have your cake and eat it too. And but then if you let let a yacht a lot of yachts go by, you might want to consider um, option two. So just <coughs> just an FYI for the ladies. Um, for the guys, um, obviously I've I've let a few yachts go by myself, and um, it's it wasn't completely my fault because I was, you know, I I got this massive allergy attack before the date, but I didn't. <laughs> further pursue it like a Dumbo and then um, now she is happily happily attached and uh, I let a yacht go by so mm. it happens yeah but uh, yeah I've, I've tried to lower my uh, lessen my superficial requirements of course and uh, you know I understand it's hard because you, you know you're, you're attracted to someone you're attracted to someone and, um, mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, um, you know, I, I've, I've let a few yachts go by, but obviously not as many as, as, uh, certain women have. And then they're still wondering what the heck's going on. Well, I mean, yeah, you've had your chances, but you just let them all go by. So, yeah. Anyways, um, ran over, um. Let's uh, briefly touch up on some mixed martial arts. Um, oh yeah, we need to talk about nutrition before we go to MMA. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so a, a common narrative is you need to have a certain amount of um, money to eat healthy. Mm -hmm. And do you have any suggestions on some some budget-minded things people can do to get the nutrition going? Some general recommendations. <clears throat> what helps is to keep it very simple and start off by creating a meal plan with foods that you enjoy. I think sometimes people overcomplicate things and they write down all these different recipes that they want to try, but then realistically... A lot of people are really busy. They don't have the time. So just keep it very simple. And before you go to the grocery store, write out a meal plan for yourself. What is it that you're going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, a couple snacks, and go to the grocery store with that meal plan in mind or with your grocery list um, already planned out so you already know what you're going to buy and you don't waste money on foods that you're not going to eat. Um, and not only that, but also waste food because oftentimes people buy foods that they, you know, that they, they're really not going to eat or they buy too much of a certain food and then it goes to waste. And we have a huge uh, problem with um, food waste in our country, unfortunately. So it's something I'm very mindful about. So that would be the first thing is just write down uh, a few different you want to have enough variety, but don't make it too uh, complicated. So, for example, what I do for breakfast is I usually have uh, either oatmeal, which is very cheap, you know, and easy to do. And you just have some oatmeal with blueberries, some nuts to give it, you know, to make it more satiating. Or I'll have some sort of smoothie or eggs with spinach and like a piece of bread or something, right? So these are things that are very simple it's not too complicated. Um, and then go to, certain, like for instance, a, a lot of people don't think of going to the, the 99 cent store. They actually have a pretty good 
a variety of different fruits and vegetables that are very reasonably priced. So I would go to, you know, go to like maybe the stores that you don't typically go for, or go to for, for groceries. Um, so that's just to start off with, just make a meal plan and ingredients list and go from there. Because meals can get very expensive. I think right now, I don't know for you, but like typically a meal like at a restaurant is like fifteen dollars. Yeah, I I don't recommend people um, eat out too often. Um, also, as a quick tangent, um, <laughs> because I've been doing a lot of blue collar stuff, um, I feel the I get hungry like three like. Every three hours, I'm hungry, and then uh-huh. I feel the need to eat a lot of calories, and to, because I burn off a lot, um, so I've I've had my appetite for fast food has increased dramatically since I started my blue collar work. But anyways, um, just mm-hmm. just to add on to what Leslie said, um, you know, if you go to the mar, even if you go to regular market, you go look at the broccoli and and um, other vegetables. Uh, that are very nutritious um, it's not that expensive and uh, a, a lot of Asians they come to this country that are really poor and then they can uh, quote unquote afford to eat healthy um, so a lot of it if, if you s- spend the money you spend on like uh, cinnamon buns etc cetera, etc cetera, and then you dedicate spend that money on um, mm-hmm. on vegetables you're, you'll be in a better place because vegetables themselves you know, they're easy to prepare. You can just uh, blanch them, um, a quick boil, and then um, it's very inexpensive. It's easy to do, mm-hmm. and you get a lot of nutrition. You know, you can uh, sprinkle, you know, season it, and then, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, and eventually it gets, it gets easier. Um, it, you get to the point where you don't necessarily have to meal plan so much. Like, like I already know there's three different... Um, staple meals that I have for breakfast and and for lunch so that's not too much there's not too much prepping involved in terms of thinking of what I'm going to to buy and these are foods that I and there's enough variety there that I don't get bored um and I already know what I'm gonna I'm gonna do and prepare and what I'm gonna buy so it gets easier as you uh as you as you do it um so it's not too complicated do you um, sorry. Um, Thanks you, for hitting me. Do you, do you have uh, any recommendations on how someone can uh, kind of like wean off a lot of the sugary stuff? Because um, like people drink a lot of sodas and stuff, and then um, mm-hmm. uh, is there like a way to cut that back without going too dramatic? Yeah. Well that's key don't go too dramatic so don't go don't don't be the person that says i i'm drinking let's just say soda for example three sodas a day for a week and then all of a sudden you decide i'm never going to drink soda again because it's bad for me that's it that's not going to work um you have to like you said wean yourself off maybe go from three sodas a day to try maybe two sodas a day or or one and then go from there. Um, one recommendation for sugar sweetened beverages is try to make your own like flavored water. So adding um, maybe like different fruits 
or you can add different citrus just to give it that flavor um, would be would be helpful and something that is is helpful. Sorry, I just said that, but yeah. Okay. So just use like flavored waters. Yeah, good good recommendations. Um... And then I know that a lot of people use uh, soda because it has caffeine. There's other beverages that have caffeine that don't have the extra uh, calories. So, for example, uh, tea is something that you might want to look into. Uh, and you can sweeten it yourself uh, with adding other um, ingredients. Or maybe just not as much. Maybe you can add like a little bit of honey, not as much sugar as what you would typically see in a, in a soda. Yeah, correct. Like the... Um... A lot of the sodas that you buy, the mm-hmm. the sugar they add is like crazy. And then, um, you know, if you add it yourself with like a sugar packet, then it's mm-hmm. like dramatically less sugar. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, also people drink sodas for the carbonation, so you right. know, look into like mineral waters and um, soda waters and sparkling waters, stuff like that. If you want to keep going with the carbonation for with uh, much less sugar mm-hmm. but um anyways um so transitioning now to mma um just want to briefly touch up because uh china has a uh, mma champion now so, yes uh song Li beats jessica Andrade in like 41 seconds um in shenzhen china two weeks ago so that's big news yes congratulations i had no idea who she was until two weeks ago yeah she uh she beat tisha torres um which is um raquel pennington's wife i think i'm not sure but um yeah so she she's she's beat a few people and um yeah she's chinese and uh how exciting for her though i I couldn't help but to feel so excited because she won in her in in China in her country. Everyone was rooting for her. I'm sure that was a lot of pressure for her because she's the first female UFC champion from China, and she won in her country. So that must have brought her a lot of uh, a sense of pride. Well, and yeah. it the way it happened, it was uh, I didn't expect her to win that way because her opponent is really tough she's tough jessica and rod she's she's a tough girl so yeah yeah it's it's good for china because uh mma has been has been uh slow to take root there in china there's still a lot of uh you know kung fu still really strong as well as other uh fake martial arts <laughs> um kung fu is obviously not a fake martial art but um there's there's a lot of mysticism and all that stuff that goes on with the practice of martial arts there, mm-hmm. and they've they've criticized MMA in the past as non-traditional and breaking with the mode, et cetera, et cetera. So it's it, it's had trouble taking root. Um, the UFC themselves, obviously, they they see that there's 1.4 billion people there, so they built a huge performance center in Shanghai, and then they. Uh, you know, they, they plan things for Jessica to win, obviously. Um, I mean, for Jessica to lose, uh, for Zhang Wei Li to win, because it took place in China, and 
Luckily, Jessica was uh, paying it for it because when she won the championship, Rose traveled to to uh, Rio, uh-huh. um, to her hometown, and then I guess she was paying it for it, and she's like, "Oh yeah, I'll go to China or whatever." Uh-huh. Um, so, but things... the UFC must have been so happy she won. Yes, because yes. they won over so many, or they converted. I think so many fans. They converted him into UFC fans because she won. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the it's like the Darren Till thing, you know. It's it's uh-huh. good to to open up a country and to have like a champion from that country because then, um, you know, other places they have more nationalistic pride than uh-huh. you know than America. Because if you see like an American champ, Chris Weidman, you're not gonna feel a sense of patriotism when you see Chris Weidman win. Um, you know, you just see Chris Weidman win, and it's like, whatever's. But then, in you know, if, like, uh, you know, if you see a Chinese fighter win, or like Conor McGregor wins for the Irish, then mm. there is a sense of nationalistic pride, and like, and ethnic pride, and uh, people, people feel patriot. Uh, people have patriotic feelings towards them, and I know in, in China, if, um, if you win against Westerners, that's like a big, big, big deal. So Yao Ming and then this random hurdles guy that won in the Olympics in 2004. They're like really big celebrities in Why China. Why do you think that is? Well, because you, uh, what do you mean why? Yeah, why? Well, you beat a Westerner at their own game. So that's, uh, that's a big accomplishment. You're a world champ. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it's one thing to beat other Chinese people, but. Um, China has always viewed themselves as the the middle kingdom, and then there's various conquering forces um, that that uh, Westerners are. And when a when a Chinese man physically or or woman in this case physically <laughs> beats uh, a Western person, that's but she's not even deal. Western; she's Brazilian. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so Brazil's in the West, so yeah. Boom. No, no, that's not. I don't even know. Because you were making it seem Brazil... like she beat a Western, like an American. And the fact is that well, Jessica Andrade is not American, she's Brazilian. But it doesn't take away that she's a UFC champion. I get what you're trying to say, but. Well, she beat a not, you know, a Westerner. Brazil's <laughs> in the West. Where, where, where do you think Brazil is? But. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's a big accomplishment. Um, you know, Yao Ming, of course, is a big star because he beat NBA players in their own mm-hmm. game. So when you do that, that's a big deal in China. Um, but yeah, and then, of course, we have the whole uh, Dustin, Dustin Poirier and Khabib uh, in Abu Dhabi last night. And um, Khabib obviously won, so... And he Shout won in a that. very predictable manner. Uh, not not to say he, he's great at what he does, um, but <clears throat> he he won very the, just the way he usually wins fights is bringing taking someone to the ground, um, tying up their legs, and then submitting them. Correct. So, correct. But I think Khabib is one of the best MMA fighters. And I'm glad he won. <laughs> but it was interesting. 
I don't know if you watched the embedded. Did you watch the embedded yes, series? Yes. His whole entourage. There's like forty people that travel with him, and this time because it was in Abu Dhabi, his dad was able to be there. And I didn't know how involved his dad is in his training until now, and his dad has been such an integral part of his success and not only his success, but also his relatives. I didn't know that his, he has cousins who are also in the MMA. One of them made their debut, um, in this last UFC, um, tournament. So it was interesting to watch how this is such a big part of their, their life. This is everything to them. Uh, and that's really, I think that's so neat that they all, are there for each other, they work out together, they train together, there's such a sense of camaraderie with them, and I I enjoy watching that. Yeah, they're from um, Dagestan, of course, which is a, um, I don't know how you say it, but it's a, it's it's a part s- of Russia. smaller, smaller republic in Russia uh-huh. that's, um, has, that's Muslim, and it's, it's near Chechnya, and, uh, very mountainous and the mm-hmm. people are very tough there it's they have brutal winters etc etc um so yeah it's um of course they feel a sense of nationalistic pride like i was talking about previously and uh they have a bunch of ethnic pride and it's it's good that they mm-hmm. support each other and khabib's a good guy i guess so yeah shout out to khabib yeah um and then Cowboy Cerrone will be fighting next week. <laughs> Why do you shake your head? I don't I like that guy. I want to just say that no one can see, whoever's listening, no one can see how many times Peter shakes his head <laughs> in uh, disapproval of something that I said. So I'm not a fan of Cowboy, but... Um, what? Why? But... Uh... Well, he's he, a he well he's always fought against people I like like Nate Diaz and uh, and um, oh, Tony Ferguson etc cetera, etc. Cetera, so. Okay, well actually that's a more interesting fight. Nate Diaz is going to be fighting George Masvidal. Masvidal. Masvidal, sorry. Yes. I my prediction is that George is gonna win um, because he's had a longer recovery time. That's really what I'm basing it off of. Yeah, Leslie has a theory that um, UFC fighters or MMA fighters should be, like, fighting once a year or whatever. I didn't say that. Which... I'm just saying... No, I didn't... I never said that. You're twist, You're putting words in my mouth. I am, yes. All I said was that I think George is going to win because he's had a longer recovery time. Nate Diaz just fought. He has to recover from his injuries. And then he's going to fight George in November. So that's... You know, I think that they're both equally um, talented fighters, um, but it just comes down to I think George just has had a longer recovery time. Well, they're also um, Jorge George. I think they're the same age, around the same age, right? Um, yeah, he, um, he took zero damage because he just had a flying knee mm-hmm. against Ben Askren. So there's that. Uh, Nate Diaz didn't take much damage, but of course he um, he did take some damage, mm-hmm. and he did get punched in the face a lot. So yeah, there's there's that can play a factor mm-hmm. uh, to it all, and um, of course 
you know, I, I like his whole backstory, and I'm a big stories guy when it comes to MMA fighters, and, um... I think they both have, I, I don't know, but it seems that they both have similar backgrounds. They both grew up in, uh, they both come from humble beginnings, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I haven't researched, um, Jorge Masvidal's life as much, so... Um, but I know he used to fight and uh, he was on a lot of Kimbo's videos, Kimbo Slice's videos, and uh, yeah, he uh, came from uh, some humble beginnings, but I don't know his whole life story like I do Nate Diaz's, because um, Nate's legend is obviously, the mythology around the Diaz brothers is is a very... It's one of the biggest in MMA regarding um, <laughs> they grew up in Stockton. Like that photo I sent you with uh, them in second grade, and it's it's a very touching type of uh, type of story. Of, <laughs> it's a Cinderella story. Uh, overcoming yeah. odds and <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it brings back a lot of my own childhood memories and a lot of people. Oh, wait, wait, did you did you just say? <laughs> That you relate to the Nate Diaz brothers, that your upbringing was similar to theirs. Well, I doubt it is at all. <laughs> well, it's not similar, of course, but um, I, I, I certainly, uh, you know, like I, like I, like I stated on uh, Instant Messenger, I used to. Um, oh, okay, yes. Back, back in middle school, I, I literally had one bully in every single class, oh, and then, and then. Um, that's me. My, my arms would get all bruised, and then. My shins would get all bruised because I used to like walk down the aisle or whatever, and then, uh -huh. you know they're in the aisle, and then they would they would kick my shins, and then when I walked by, they would uh, punch punch my arms and all that stuff, which was cool. But um, that is so mean. But uh, you know, I I've never truly gotten quote unquote beat up, so I'm very fortunate. I just got a bunch of uh, shin kicks, and then I got my backpack thrown on the roof several times, and all that stuff. So, um, do you feel that you're over that? Like you, do you feel that that had any long lasting effect? Oh yeah, of course. Like and, what? Um, it's not good for you, of course, when you, when you get, get bullied a lot and it's psychologically not good cause you're, do you think it's made you more resilient? Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's more traumatic. It, it's hard to hard to overcome that kind of stuff because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the whole thing is, oh, yeah, you should fight a bully or whatever. But then, um, mm -hmm. like in Chinese school, I had a bully, Spencer, who uh, ironically he was a real estate agent also. But, um, yeah, that's another story. But, um, yeah, he I mean, he was he was a grade or two older than me. And then he was like six feet tall. So it's like, mm -hmm. you know, my my attempts to fight back were. Uh, obviously did not work because he was a much larger human being than I was. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there is, of course, you have certain psychological damage when you get bullied a lot. And, uh, you know, it's it's healthy to talk about it because um, if you, you know, you lose confidence in social situations because you get bullied and yeah. it uh, hurts with your dating life, blah, 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 but whatever. And uh, it is really hard, and I feel for kids who are bullied especially nowadays with social media because once someone puts something out there 
on Instagram or Snapchat, you can't do anything about that. And then more and more people look at that. And of course, that affects you psychologically and creates this cognitive distortions that lead to depression. And I I dealt with that in junior high. I was really, I, I went from, so I went to elementary in Whittier and then for junior high, I had to go to a different um, school and I didn't know anyone and I was just really down because I didn't, I didn't know anyone and everyone would make fun of me. And I was really, really like sad. I don't know if I would call it depression, but I remember I would go home and I did not want to go to school. And it was, there was times where I was like, gosh, I, I don't want to go to school. And because you would ha- I would have to go and then have to deal with these people making fun of me all the time. And I remember once I was going to get an award, but that meant I had to go in front of the cafeteria in front of everyone. And I could not stand even thinking about people like making fun of me while I was walking up, you know, to get my award. So I pretended to be sick. And I, my dad's like, oh, you can just stay home. I'm like, oh, thank you. But it was just all a lie because I didn't want to go up and get my award because everyone would make fun of me. Huh. Interesting. So, but the thing is, is like there were times where I would be like, oh, I don't even want to live anymore. Like, this is so sad and depressed. Wow. And I, because I didn't want to go to that. I didn't want to get made fun of. But I'm so glad. Like, these are, you know, and one thing is that thoughts, they're just thoughts. They're not reality, right? True. Um, so even though like you might think these things, like I'm so glad that even though I never was like really close to doing anything to myself, but I'm so glad that I got over that because what came on later on in my life <clears throat> brought me so much joy and and now I think about those things and I'm like, Oh my god, that was so silly, like why it didn't even matter in the grand scheme of things, but so you you can't get over it, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, there's light at the other end of the tunnel because you're not gonna see these people forever. So right. Um, yeah, it's it's also another thing for private schools. Um, a, a lot of in private schools, you know, obviously there's there's much less of this type mm-hmm. of activity that goes on. So I I commend parents who um, you know. To, to send a kid to private school at an elementary or middle school costs a, you know, shit ton of money. And um, wait, you rec? I, I do. Sorry. Uh, um, Did you say you recommend? I, I, I wouldn't say I recommend, but wait, I don't I don't not recommend sending a kid to private school because I think if if I had gone to a private school route, I'd uh, I'd ex- experience much less bruising on my legs and arms. And uh, I don't think so. But um, it's different because because when you meet like private school like guys, they're they're always like really really polite and and um, professional et cetera et cetera. And then when you see like public school kids, they're like, oh my god, um, you know, it's 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 what we're used to. But um, I think I think there's there's a benefit in sending sending your kid to, you know, obviously if he's like a really tall kid or he's really big or whatever, then, uh-huh. um, then there might not be a need to, but, you know, I was always the, the third shortest boy, um, third or second shortest boy. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, my mom cooked healthy, so I wasn't, I wasn't large either. So I was skinny and short and, um, 
you know, you can, and Asian in a uh, mostly white school, so you can get targeted a lot. But um, I was never depressed as a kid because I always had friends. As you know, I have a magnetic personality and <laughs> I, I was even more magnetic back then. But um, it, that same magnet attracted both good and the boys, <laughs> the bullies. So a lot of people in their childhood, they, they face certain traumatic stuff and then that's why a it lot only of them... makes I feel like it makes you stronger when you face adversity I had to face I, you know it's something that I'm very private about and then only like certain people know these things about me because it's not something I talk about but I faced a lot of adversity growing up and I could have said oh well it's because of this stuff that I had to go through that held me back but I grew from those experiences and it only made me stronger mm, yes yes um yeah i mean it, it helped well i i kind of wish it, i didn't go through that stuff i'm not sure how much i grew from it on a personal level mm-hmm. but um i think it's definitely me i i think you're a very resilient person i i know we never we never talk about issues like our feelings a whole lot um but the way that you're able to cope with you know certain issues in your our life I, I admire you for that because you you're not just like oh you know laying in bed and just thinking like well I'm not gonna you know what's the point like you're you still keep putting yourself out there whether it's dating or whether it's your professional life and you keep trying even though things don't work out the way that you planned you're still putting yourself out there. Yes. And that thank you. That means a lot and I applaud you for that because I know a lot of people would just give up and you haven't done that. Yeah, and uh, you know, of course we're adults now so we uh you know, we've learned from a lot of our childhood experiences. Um but again, um whether it was healthy to go through that, I'm not quite sure, but it um and uh, it it's part of life, so you can't like regret it too much because it it becomes part of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but shout out to the, one of the things about private schools is there is less bullying, so there's that. Um, and then, um, yeah. So back to the whole Nate Diaz thing. A lot of people, you know, they can they can relate to having to go through some sort of childhood trauma. So that's why his mythology is so. It's so great, and that's why a lot of people can identify with him because he went through a lot of tough times. You know, obviously his tough times were different. Um, a lot of people have different tough times when they're a kid, but mm-hmm. it's his mythology helps. But anyways, uh, to close out, do you have any final thoughts here? Because we've yes. been talking a long time. Um, I just want to finish off by mentioning a book that I've been listening to on Audible. It is called um, Feeling Good by David D. Burns, and it's one of the best books I've ever um, listened to, because I'm not really reading, I'm listening to it, and it's very helpful in terms of dealing with um, negative cognitive distortions. It gives you practical applications to deal with negative cognitive distortions so that it doesn't lead to depression, because I think that's something that oftentimes we 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 deal with um, these negative thoughts, and a lot of times they're just distortions, right? Like, and so 
I highly recommend this book um, if anyone's interested in, in learning more about that and just cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, well, what's it called again? Feeling Good. Um, let me, I'm pretty sure that's it, but let me double check. Um, yeah, Feeling Good by David D. Burns. He's a um, clinical psychiatrist, graduated from Stanford. Psychiatrist or psychologist, but I, it just makes, the book makes a lot of sense to me because he gives you a lot of different practical applications that you can implement to help you deal with uh, negative thoughts and how he helps you understand that a lot of them are just negative distortions, like maybe making over assumptions about something or um, overanalyzing, like he really breaks it down so that it's easy to understand and that your happiness is not dependent on how much you make. <laughs> Continue. It's still recording. <laughs> okay. Um, and he, it's, uh, yeah, anyways, anyways, so who's interested, I highly recommend the book. I think you'll, you, I've been learning a lot from it. It's been very helpful. Um, uh, my uh, quick final, final thought, final rant, um, yeah, back to the whole whole dating thing. Um, I know we've been talking a long time, so I'll make it quick. But, um, yeah, sometimes you, for both males and females, you just need to look at, um, you know, uh, look at the whole character versus uh, more of the superficial aspects of why you're attracted to someone. And um, when you're looking for a future long-term relationship, you might want to, Check check out their whole character versus just a lot of check boxes of um, certain traits that they have that you're attracted to. So, yeah, look and, at the whole character. And don't let any more yachts go by. Correct. Don't don't wait for this cruise ship that might never come. Right. Anyways, have a good one, guys. Adios. <laughs>